when you're starting a business, do you need everything in place before you launch? Do you need the product defined? Do you need the service defined? Do you need the marketing material written? Do you need the website complete? Do you need the company structure set up? Do you need everything built before you launch and sell? Or is there another way? What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. This is episode 10, Sell Your Value Before You Create It, the confusing sentence that Katie Coombs didn't like from episode two, Five Ways to Build a Business with No Money. But we're going to deep dive into what that means and how much of a business do you need set up before you actually start. And well, let's start there. If you were advising someone, Katie, if you were advising someone, Sean, and they're launching a business, do they need the company structure? Do they need what percentage of all this stuff you need for a business do they need set up before they launch? I think the answer is quite simple. They don't need any of it. Not one thing that you've said do you actually need. You might have it. You know, you may have done it already. So if you have, that's fine. But you don't need any of those things. You don't need a company structure. You don't even need a name. You don't need a logo. You don't need a website. You don't need them. But you may have them. So if you've got them, don't panic. It's okay. Um, what you actually need is a sale. A business exists the minute, I think, it makes a sale. So you're telling me I don't need a logo to get a sale. But I really a want a cute logo. Look, I've spent a long time paying for logos, designing logos, dreaming about logos, wasting money on logos, and they don't get you a sale. We're talking about businesses starting. At that point, we start up. You do not need a logo at all. Do you I might really want one, and you might be a great designer, and you want to make one yourself, great, but don't pay for one. Do I, don't I need to buy all the domain names? Don't I need the .com, the .co.uk, the .org, the .org? something else the dot fish the dot banana otherwise people will steal it once i've launched yeah get the dot banana one <laughs> dot banana. you don't need any of them i think they need and we were taught so much aren't we about what we need to do the plan it goes back to that business plan that nasty little thing or big thing the business plan where you've got to have everything lined up ready to launch so i don't think you need all those domain names that comes you don't have to do everything at once and um, you may have a you know dreamt the logo have a great name, want to get everything nailed down and sorted out. But I find that some of those things we use as excuses, excuses to start actually selling. Oh, I can't do it until I've got the logo. I, I need to get the domain name sorted. There's no way. People won't think I'm professional. People won't take me seriously. And I think it's just these excuses that we create in our minds um, so we don't actually have to go out and sell. Um, so that's my take. You don't need any of them. You need to go and sell. What do you think, Sean? Are they just excuses or is there a real need for this stuff? Well, for me, I would liken it to gambling. Um, I think you have as good of a chance 
you know, if you want to go spend all your money on setting up your office and all your logos and doing your research, not even just spending money, spending your time and your energy as well. Um, so I, I would say you probably have an even shot if you have $5,000, let's say, or 5,000 quid and you go to Vegas and bet on black and roulette, or if you go ahead and do all that, you know, pre-work without even knowing if your product is or service is going to sell. So like, if you want to take risks and you want to get really living on the line, well, yeah, go spend all your money first. Yeah. Go spend all your time, build your products. What if it doesn't sell? Or you could be very conservative and try to sell it first and not spend any money and not take any risk and not gamble at all. So to me, if you really want to live on the edge, yeah, go spend all your money first. Or you could play it safe and try to sell your product and see if people want it. I love that analogy. I'd never thought of it as gambling, but you're right. With the success rate of small businesses, and even if you back away from that, with the success rate of my ideas, uh, the success rate of my ideas is actually quite low. And what I've learned over the years is I just need to test them. I'll throw out 10 ideas, ask a load of people to buy. The one they're excited about, I'll put into production. The other 10 I will bin and I will move on from quickly. And I think it's that quick prototyping to customer to get the money. Oh, they bought. Now I've got cash. Let's make it happen. Uh, and that's absolutely, I love that analogy of gambling. I haven't heard that one before, Sean. Yeah, I just made it up. Thank you. <laughs> I did, but it seems that way to me. Like I've done it in the past and it's kind of an ego thing to some degree. It's like, well, I know exactly what this is and what everybody wants and so forth. You know, n nobody knows that at all. And if you delude yourself that you know all the answers, and you know exactly what the market's thinking, you're setting yourself up probably for a pretty big disappointment, not to mention all the time and energy and going round and round in your head. Um, before I would start businesses in the past, I would come up with plan A, plan A1, plan A2, plan A2, A1, A2, and so forth and so on. So I was ready for everything that was going to happen because I knew I was going to do it. And by the end of doing that, I got myself so worked up. And if I looked at what I actually started with and where I got to, they were two completely different things. And I had not talked to anyone about it. So all I did was get myself in a frenzy and probably spend money and time and just put myself in a situation where I was no farther ahead, probably more far behind. So I would say the thing that I've learned best from that is take my ego out of it share my ideas and ask people, would they buy it? And then if they said no, I said, well, why? Tell me, inform me, let me know. Instead of gambling with my time, my money, my energy, I could just ask a question and get feedback from people if they would be interested in it or not. Um, not try to come up with the greatest idea ever and move forward with it without understanding if there's a market for it. I think it's interesting where some of this training comes from. And one of the shows that I actually think is the culprit in the UK, it's called Dragon's Den. In America, it's called Shark's Tank. And you go in front of the dragons, which are wealthy business entrepreneurs, or in front of the sharks. It's far more dramatic in America because you're going to get eaten alive. Mind you, you get, might get burnt in England. But you go in front of these people and they will judge whether your idea will be successful or not. And then if they think it will be successful, they'll give you a pile of money to spend to go out and launch it or to grow it from where you are. 
And I think where it really hit me was there was an episode in England and the business idea being presented by these entrepreneurs. There's a couple of gentlemen who said, we've got this idea. You've got websites that have recipes on them. And it's a really annoying thing that you look up the recipe, then you have to go to your food delivery service and enter in all of those items. And that's annoying, that process, because I've got to like buy a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this and all these ingredients. So what if we had a website program that a little button at the end said, add all of these items to my cart at X supermarket? Wouldn't that make everyone's life easier and make the sales process far better? And we think for people who are planning out their meals during the week, uh, it'd be a great idea. And then one of the dragons came on and absolutely jumped on them and said, no one plans their meals. No one plans their meals. What are you talking about? This is an utter waste of money. It's an utter fallacy. It's crap. And Katie and I were at home thinking, uh, we plan our meals. I would love that service. And actually, I know quite a few people who would love that service. I think it's great. And I think this is the bit is that any one person can't tell what the whole market wants. They can only tell their opinion. And I spend my whole time at pop-up. People come up to me and go, what do you think of my business idea, Alan? Will it work? And I say, uh, I, I have no idea if it'll work or not. What, what's the only thing I can say with certainty? The only thing I can say with certainty is, will I buy it? I can say, Alan will pay money for this, yes or no. Can't say if anyone else will. Can have a guess, but that's all it is. It's a guess. And the interesting bit about the sharks and the dragons is they get a large percentage of those gambles wrong. And those businesses don't succeed. One or two of them will succeed stellar in an incredible way that'll pay it back. But they get such a large percentage wrong. And I think you can't guess what the market is into. It's just impossible. Um, have you tried to guess what the market's into? And do you still do that? Or do you just go and test now? Oh, constantly. I'm, I'm imagining what people will think. And I imagine uh, what they want. And it's those little fantasies and stories that, I, that we or I play in my head about what people need where the gap in the market is, that's another one. I mean, the thing about Dragon's Den is I think it puts more people off starting a business and it does encourage them. Yet every entrepreneur and, and business owner I know watches it. We all watch it and we're all pulled by it. But we've got to remember it's a TV show and it's there for the drama. It's not about real life. But um, I imagine all the time what people want. And, and part of coming up with new ideas can be some of that. If you can walk in somebody else's shoes or look, what, you know, what do people need? But you'll never, ever really know. Even if you ask them, even if, would you buy this? People will say, well, yeah, maybe I would. In the end, you've got to see, will people part with the cash? Will they make them transfer? Will they open their wallet? And will they give you the money? That is the, only, that is the actual test. Without that, it's just all imagination. It doesn't exist. That's one of my favourite things that I say at Pop-Up is that people will be nice to you until you ask them to take their wallet or their purse out of their pocket. It's only when you ask for the cash that they will give you the real feedback, which is either a yes, no, and an excuse. Exactly. So when you guys 
face that kind of question, the yes, no, or an excuse. So let's say I would say no, an excuse is pretty much the same thing. Um, how do you then deal with that? Is it okay? When you get a no or an excuse, what do you ask? Me personally, I see every no as a learning opportunity. If someone rejects my business, my idea, oh, that's interesting. Tell me, what didn't fit? What did you not get? Was Which element of it? What did you think? And I ask these open questions and dive in because every single no will teach me something and help me get closer to a yes. But that feedback actually is impossible to get before you've got rejected. Um, because before you've got rejected, they'll make some stuff up. After you've got rejected, if you take it well and say, cool, I understand you said no, that's excellent. Just please help me to understand why so that I can go for the next customer. You're more likely to get real feedback. So I think actually the only real feedback in terms of that comes afterwards. Just to add to what Alan said, it's the best piece of market research is asking people for money. That's real market research. The thing I think at the point of starting a business or when you uh, try and sell the first few times, when people say no, it can be a little bit shocking. It's a rejection. You know, we, we um, or I, when I say we, I only mean I, uh, want people to say, yes, what a great idea. And yes, I'll have one. And aren't you brilliant? And this is a brilliant idea. And yes, please, we'll have four. And that doesn't always happen. And people don't want a book or not interested in what you've got to say. But when you first start out and you may be unsure about what you're doing, getting used to that can be difficult. And if I'm honest, even now at this point, when people reject ideas, people don't want to book me, people don't want to give me money, it feels a little bit upsetting. You know, it's, a, it's, it's ego, it's confidence, and it's getting used to dealing with that in your own way, I suppose. There are ways and techniques to deal with it, but getting a rejection and getting a no can be tough, especially at the beginning. I don't think it ever becomes any particularly easier. It doesn't matter what age you are, what what zone you are. I mean, I've reached financial independence and built an incredible company. It still hurts when someone says, no, your ideas are crap, Alan. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that ever goes away. That's okay. Uh, but actually, I think that's what you've got to overcome to be an entrepreneur. Go on, Sean is laughing away with that. Some of your ideas, just some of them are not crap. <laughs> yeah but that's what it is is one out of 50 one out of i don't know yeah, 25 yeah whatever one out of 100 yeah. uh there's a there's a gem somewhere within there but i have to go and test a bunch of ideas my way of doing it is to go and try and sell it so i'll go and speak to a load of customers send a load of emails see what they say if someone says yes i'm like ooh, i've got an idea that actually might be worth it uh, and then we decide whether we want to press in. Um, and this is the, this is absolutely the fundamental of sell your value before you create it. And I just want to highlight before you create it, because that's the opposite of what nearly entre every entrepreneur does. And is what we were talking about at the start. They feel like they have to create everything before they sell. It's actually the opposite. It's a far better approach. And when I was coming up with new ideas, I wouldn't create a company name. I wouldn't buy a domain. I wouldn't create a website. I wouldn't create any of the things that I did. I'd just have an idea and see if I could go and sell it. And one random idea I came up with was, I wonder if I can take what we do at Pop-Up 
and run it as an intrapreneurial course. So being an entrepreneur within a company. So I just went to some companies I knew and said, what do you think of this idea? Here's a, a title and a paragraph and here's what we'll do. What do you think? One of them got excited and they bought and then I had to write the course. But I never, ever would have written the course if I hadn't actually sold it first. I wouldn't have wasted my time. And actually, most of my ideas, they never get to the stage of creation because no one wants to buy them. The sentence, sell your value before you create it. Sean, what does that actually mean to you? Well, I'd like to ask Katie to repeat her definition of that because I like it better. Katie, how would you, you said it when we spoke last time in the other, what episode, I can't remember what the episode was. was episode made, two, five ways to build a business two. with no yes. money. So Katie, how did you define that? And then I'll speak on it. Well, after I got over the idea that I don't know what it meant, sell your value before you create it, not because, you know, I just have, um, look, to be honest, I can't say or spell entrepreneur, so I don't know if I should even be on here. So... <laughs> Tell your value before you create it to me is get the money up front. Get the cash in before you spend. And if you put that idea against everything you do, then that's how business can start without going into debt. It is the most fundamental. And once you've got that idea, you can carry that through everything you do, including getting payment up front. Even as you get going, one of the things that I used to do when even our business was big using this same idea is that I used to phone some of my clients who I knew, uh, you know, who'd booked with us before I had a good relationship with, but they were getting phoned and they were getting contacted by all sorts of different companies trying to sell them events. And I would phone them up and tell them that I had three or four great new ideas um, for what we used to do is the fashion events. I'd say, we've got these great ideas for spring, summer fashion. Uh, can I come and talk to you about them? Cause I want to get face to face with them. Cause that's where I could tell. And if I could get a date in the diary, I'd put the date in, put the phone down, take a deep, deep breath and think, bloody hell, I'm going to have to have these ideas now because I didn't (laughs) have the ideas. (laughs) But rather than spend the time with the ideas, then phone up and see if I can get a meeting. I got the meeting first and then that gave almost a little bit of pressure to have the ideas. Nine times out of 10, I walked in there with a bag full of ideas that I could sell. So that's the same thing. It's sell the idea, sell the product before you get the cash. That's the um, antithesis of gambling and kind of what Alan was saying with the uh, situation where you're talking about being an entrepreneur um, and not creating a cash. So you could have took all this time, wrote a course, had 15 different outlines, uh, nine different pitches and so forth, and it will probably would have went nowhere because you didn't know what they need. So to me you know, when you're creating your value, uh, before you sell it or getting the money up front is a conversation as well. Telling people is not, is not selling. Like to me, the beginning of selling is asking questions. What do you want out of this program? You know, what are you looking for from a face painter? What are you looking for from a business school? And then once you have an idea of what that person wants, then you can really have a conversation and, and all that stress and the selliness goes down because then you're just talking to somebody and figuring out, Hey, this is what I want out of this. And sometimes guess what? They're not going to want anything that you have, but if you build good rapport with them, they probably know from a degree of separation, somebody that you can help. So taking that, 
that salesy attitude out of it. Um, and then also killing the idea of like asking for a sale or money up front is, is rude or you don't do that. How do we get around that? You know, if you have that story in your head of, well, I shouldn't do that or I'm not supposed to do that. My, you know, I would kind of ask the question is why, um, and what I found is if you are working with someone and we'll just break it down into very, two very small groups. If you have a product or service that is a small price point, now that's going to be different for different people, but not something where it's a big thought of, Hey, I got to buy something. Let's say your product is, you know, 10 pounds or $15. Um, that's probably not a huge going to change the day kind of purchase. And if you ask for somebody to, to pay that up front and they won't do it. Well, I'm going to say they're never, were going to be a customer at all. So when people say, well, I'm going to scare them away, you're not scaring anybody away. If you're having a conversation with someone, um, and you guys are on the same page and you understand what they need and that you can provide that need for them. And then you ask them for the money. Well, guess what? They were never going to buy it. So don't look at it as you're scaring somebody away. It's just saving yourself time and saving them time as well. And then seeing if you can provide some value to them of what they do need or refer them from there. So I think actually you should scare them away. I think there's a benefit to that. And this comes from in the pop-up support group about a couple of years ago, we had a message from a lady that started a cake business and she'd got an order for 100 cupcakes. She'd bought all the ingredients. She'd made them all. Her kitchen work services were filled with cupcakes. She'd rung the customer to say, they're ready, come get them. And nothing. Yep. Didn't answer the phone. Didn't answer emails. Nothing whatsoever. So she put a message in there, panicking. What do I do? What do I do? My first question was, did you ask for a deposit? Well, if they haven't paid a deposit, how committed are they? Do they even care? And I really genuinely think for both of your benefit, people should pay something up front. They should pay a deposit or they should pay a fee. And I don't care whether it's a cake or a training course or it doesn't really matter what it is. If they're not even committed to pay some up front, don't trust them. Yeah. And it's not saying for that example that you, you had with the cupcakes. Okay. So the automatic story goes in people's head as well. That guy's bad, you know, or he, he made a deal and he didn't go through with it. Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes there's other things where life happens. Right. And let's say that gentleman had a family emergency, right. Or got in an accident or whatever happened so he could not follow through with that business deal. It's not, it's not because he was a bad one over. It's just life came out. But that does not deny the fact that you put the time in. The point being, though, is that regardless of what happened with him, you or, or her as the entrepreneur that made took all the time, spent the money for the product, made the cupcakes, needs to be compensated for their work. And by asking for the money up front, that makes sure that you are going to be compensated for your work, at least in a deposit, you know, and that way, if you can come back around to the 
uh, purchaser and say, hey, what happened here? And if it seems like it's a viable situation, well, then you can rework the deal so everybody can still win. Um, but making sure you have made your profit or locking your profit in up front before you take all that energy and you take money invested in time is very important. If you do that with, like I was saying, with a smaller product or service where it costs you a minimal amount, I think it's great just to get the payment in full up front. If it's a larger purchase that's going to be done over time, well, yes, definitely a deposit because it saves me time. They're not willing to give me a small deposit or pay a small amount for a product or service. They're not really a customer. And that's okay. It just gives you to save your time to go out and find the people who really are a customer. I love that. Casey, you have something oh, to add. Yes. Yes. I was going to say that at those early stages when you're starting your business, you are speaking to lots of different people. So it is a form of market research, as I said before. And that market research will include asking to see if the type of people you're speaking to or you imagine will want your product. So you've gone to speak to them and try and sell to them. If there seems to be a problem around paying up front, they may not be the right people for you. You may have targeted your product or service to the wrong people. If you keep asking and you're getting nowhere. So again, even if you get lots of no's, you may need to ask in a different way. You may need to ask a different type of customer. This is all part of the learning process. Um, and I think the other thing about it is trust as well. You're asking people to trust you. And I agree completely with Sean. With a small, even with a small amount of money that you are going to turn up with the goods. So you're going to have to get that trust going as quickly as you can. And I think with those things, you're going to have to think about how you tell the truth and being authentic uh, and being clear. You know, the truth well told is an old thing that I got told years ago in advertising. You tell the truth well. So be clear about what people are buying. Be clear and talk about price. This is a transaction. And if you're uncomfortable with talking about money, then that's something that you, that's your stretch. So start to talk about it more and more so you become more comfortable with it. So all these early things in the development or the start of your business are great, massive. It's a massive learning curve. And some of them will make you feel uncomfortable. And some of it's a bit different to start to ask people for money if you haven't done that before. But it's part of it. And that's where the golden nuggets are. That's where you'll learn and get better at it. But it's the start. It's that idea that you know what to do. And then there's a gap before the action. And there's a gray area in between, you know what you've got to do. And then there's the action and there's this weird area in between. Um, and it's that jump. It's that step. It's that first one. And when somebody says yes for the first time, when somebody agrees to pay you money for the first time before you've actually delivered anything, God, it is a euphoric moment. It means it works. There's your start and there's your business. And you can make money before you sell your value. I've got that the wrong way around. You? You've sold your value. Yeah, stay with me. You've Get sold the money your value up before. front. Get That's the money it. up front. You've got the cash up front and you've started. I think that's a great point, Casey. And also, it's an unbelievable motivator to get stuff done once somebody's give you their money. It's like, wait a minute. Oh, I made the sale. Now I really got to do it. So I think not only is it good to lock your profit in and make sure you're going to be able to be compensated, it also is a great motivator to, hey, this this train has started. I'm, I'm on the way. I got to provide. There was a point you put in there about talking about trust as well. When you ask somebody and you say, say, well, here's my product. And let's say it's a, you know, I'm selling, I don't know, um, lunch for people. 
right? And I say, well, look, I'm going to provide lunch for you. There's 20 of you tomorrow. And um, I want the money up front. I want you to give me $10. I want you to give me 10 quids. Now, does that feel like it's building trust? Probably not because you're just demanding money. So to me, give a because or a reason that you're asking for the money up front. People will understand that. Say, well, look, I'm going to make this uh, chicken dish and I'm going to make rice and I'm going to make a veggie. Well, in order to do that, I'm going to need the money to buy the ingredients. And I'm also going to be able to buy the tin that it goes in and the warming tray or the sterno or whatever you call for that to keep it hot. I'm also going to have to hire a couple people to help me prep all the food. So if you give a person a because, they're going to understand that. Like people get, yeah, well, it does take money to buy that food. And it does take um, money to get people to help. So giving some sort of because or giving them the opportunity to ask questions about why um, will build that trust. And people will understand, yeah, it takes these things to actually provide the product for you instead of just saying, I want that $10 now. So I think explaining and giving different points of view of why you need that money up front and how it is going to provide that product for the, or products or service for the customer really builds that trust there. And it opens up a conversation where you can probably, you know, calm down some of those worries of, oh, is this person not going to show up again? Or why are they need the money? And then once they understand that, well, then you've built a new level of trust and moving forward, it becomes a lot easier. Alan, I know you did something like this as far as with the first pop-up business school of giving the reason of why you needed that money well before um, the class was actually written or put on. Uh, do you remember your because on why you needed to get that money six months in advance, I believe it was. It, well, I just asked for the money up front. I didn't frame it. I wanted six months in advance. I just said, can we have the money up front, please? Because we need to secure the dates. I need to That's... lock the venue and I need to make sure everything is in place to get this ready. That would really help me, please. Yeah, uh, the because makes sense to me. Like, wait a minute. I have to put that time down. So if I'm the client... Well, I want to make sure that my my event is going to come off on the days I want it. Um, if you would just say to me, oh, well, well, I just want the money up front and that's how it is, I would be like, well, why does I don't get it, man. I was like, well, if I can't lock that in with you, well, then I got to go find another client that can take those dates. So to me, just that little, hey, I have to lock dates in. I, hey, I have to find a venue. Hey, I have to get other help to get chairs in there. Uh, the projection system, whatever all those things are, it really helps give people a visual picture of how they can say, yeah, that makes sense, why I need that money. And it's not a nefarious thing. It's the real process of that you're going to have to go through, excuse me, process for the English folk you're going to go through. So I love that because, and because almost always builds trust and opens up a conversation and it gives them the ability to announce their fears or verbalize their fears of why they wouldn't want to do it. And then you have, oh, I understand what you're saying. Oh, well, here's why. Because if it's a, I need your money now, period, uh, or excuse me, full stop, then it's kind of not a discussion. You're like kind of ordering them. But if you put out there, here's reasons, then they can say, okay, that makes sense. Or tell me more of why this is necessary. That's building trust. Casey, that was a, you know, something I, from our last episode where you were talking about with the face painters, um, you made the ask up front of that. 
do you have any example of why they needed to be paid in advance on that? Or I think it was within a certain amount of time. And how did you give the because for that? What did you do information-wise to make that client feel comfortable with you knowing that you were going to follow through with the agreement you made? That's a great question, Sean. And I'm going to have to tell you the truth that we didn't give a because. We didn't give a because on that uh, particular occasion. Though I do agree with you. And I wanted to make a point when you were just talking then, is that I think when you start, because we're talking very much at the start of a business here, sometimes I feel with the people that I meet at Pop-Up who come to a, the Pop-Up Business School kind of don't want people to know that they're starting almost. They want to give the impression that they're already an existing business and that sometimes people say we when it's just one of them and um, want to give this facade almost, you know, uh, it's like pretending that there's something they're not. And I always say to people, be who you are, be where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to be honest and be truthful because exactly as you said, if you give a because and give a real reason, it's not like demanding money. So I think that's a really strong point you've made. However, I'm going to have to fess up here. We didn't give a because. We just told them we needed the money. <laughs> we <wanted to> pay. <laughs> well, did they give because it? we, we need the money. We got, yeah, we got paid. Um in a shorter time period before we paid the face painters who came out. So we um, we turned up, but we hadn't paid the face painters until we got paid by Manchester City. So that's how we did it. Well, let, let me ask you this. How did you make them feel comfortable with you? Well, we went to a meeting. So um, as soon as we got in, we started the dialogue with them, we got ourselves into the uh, into the offices and we had a meeting. And I think that when we when you have that human-to-human contact and you're realizing you're dealing with real people and you're being honest and you clearly know what you're doing um the connection was made um but it comes down to being straightforward clarity truth being honest be who you are and give them the actual the actual real deal the honesty here um so yeah it's human to human face to face that's where uh, we did our best work and uh, that's where our sales happened when it was face to face. Do you remember the point during that conversation where you realized like, Hey, yeah, we're on the same page here where the people are like nodding their heads and um, you know, for, for that situation, for those of you who did not hear the other episode that we were talking about, Casey and her partner um, went to a soccer match for the United States folks and a football match at a very big stadium, a very big team that had a huge following. And probably the management for this, I, I was guess it was not a huge outlay of cash for them um, to be able to no. do that, right? So, but we make up in our head that, wow, it's the end all be all, like this is the hugest deal ever. Um, you were feeling a need that they saw, you know, that was there. Where was that point where the crossover between them saying like, yes, we're on the same page here, please do it. Um, Because it didn't seem like you needed a because with them. As soon as you gave them the idea, they're like, yeah, we're in. Yes. The um, the email that we sent, which said, do you need some face painters? Your next home match arrived just at the point where they were having the meeting virtually a discussion in the office saying we need to do something. Uh, We need to do some more activity. It was, you know, it was early days. It was 15 years ago before um, sport got much more experiential the way it is now. So um, we just got them at that point. So we were incredibly, incredibly lucky. The fact that we had the right message at the right time to the right person is just golden. And for the rest of our career, for 15 years, that's what we were looking for every time 
that we talk to people. You have to, you know, your message when there's a need at the right time. So the, the conversations with them was we were very straight with them. We were clear. We didn't even have a company name, you know. So we were very clear about who we That's were awesome. and what we could do. But yeah. what was quite, and I think the difference for us was that Lindsay, a face painter, but we'd kind of come from a marketing background. So we were able to speak and talk to them in the language that they understood and we understood too. So we knew we were doing more than face painting. We were building value. We were getting people to arrive early at the ground to spend more money um, and to become, you know, more connected with the football club. So we were able to talk their language. It wasn't just face painting. So that's kind of how our relationship developed with uh, with Man City. Did you make the um, the ask over email or was that in your meeting in person for the actual sale itself? I think it first went over an email uh, and then they came in and we, we had a chat with them. And the money was massive to us. It yeah. was massive amount of money. Um, and for what we thought was very little. Uh, yet to them, it was peanuts. Absolutely yeah. peanuts. Uh, it was a very small part of their match day budget. Did you agree in the room there? Or was it over email, yes, we'll do this price? Or was it, hey, here's the price, would you like to do it? How did, how did that ask go? What, uh, was it a comfortable one? Was it something where they were on board? I'm just trying to feel out like, you know. We, um, we put it in the email. Uh, it was inflated price that we just made up on the spot <laughs> and just had a go. We thought, well, if we go high, then they'll, they'll maybe chip us down. And we went high and they stayed with it. And they didn't chip us down. So we just put it into the email. We arranged a meeting and we went to see them and that was it. It was a very simple uh, start, a very simple start. We still didn't, you know, that was a face painting business potentially, but we didn't actually start a face painting business from that uh, that first um, interaction. It was just our first sale. And it was our first learning experience of what could happen when you asked and when you turned up. I think that's a great rendition right there of you thought it was a, you know, we're going to go huge on the price and it's, you know, it's because they're going to try to beat us down a bit. So to them, I bet maybe the other idea is like, this is all they want and where you didn't get any argument on price at all. So it, that's really good lesson of showing like, Hey, ask for the value you believe that you are because you don't know where the other person's coming from. To them, here's a need. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's nothing to us probably was the process. We're getting, a, we're getting them for a deal. So creating that story up in your head that the price is too high because I'm new or whatever that may be is a bad idea. Um, Alan, I think you had a point on that as well or looking in. So I think what I'd love to do is to work to try and take sell your value before you create it as a concept and turn it into a process for people. Um, because I love a step-by-step Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Uh, if you were going to let's do a service, let's do a product and maybe an online business and let's come up with a few ideas. Uh, if you were launching a service and you wanted to sell it before you built it, how would you go about that? Well, first of all, you've got to look about um, it. Should, it all starts with your customer. Who would want it? And what problems have they got and what problems are you solving? Or what are there? You know, I would say in the sales section, you know, what are people's wants or needs or problems? What are they staying up at night worrying about? And if you can look at the benefits of your service, how it solves those problems. So you, first of all, you've got to understand who your customers are and get out there and find out what their problems are. You can almost design your product around what people need. So if you are a coach or you're a trainer, find the problems 
because the benefits of what you do are your skills and turn into benefits for them. That is exactly how I would approach it. Find someone I think that would need what I do, go chat to them, ask them what their biggest problems are. And then one of the sayings that Simon and I repeat to each other at the pop-up is people support what they co-create. So if you go and have that meeting and you co-create the service or the solution with them, they're far more likely to buy it. If you go in with a finished decision, they will go yes or no. And the answer more often than not is no. But people are more likely to support what they co-create. So I think for the service businesses out there, it's find someone you think has the problem you can fix, go and ask them about it, come up with some ideas and see if they'll buy it. And I think it's a fairly, fairly simple process. Sean, what do you think about that? Is that the process you'd go through? Yes. And sometimes you get some some gifts and some prizes by going through that. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You can spend all this time planning, buying, getting everything together, you know, using energy and money, or you can just start asking people what they want, kind of what KC was saying. So I have a business, I had a business that was a personal and group physical training. Uh, specifically, it was called CrossFit. And I had been doing the group training for a while and then decided I was going to start working one-on-one with people. Now, the, uh, the client that I had in my head that I thought I was going to be working with turned out to be completely different person. So I was initially going after a more serious athlete. I was thinking they were going to be around the ages of 30 to 40 years old, white-collar professional um, that really wanted to take it up a notch. What I found was as I was marketing to those people, I didn't really enjoy having the conversations with them. They had opinions on how things they, well, this is how you do it right. And I wasn't looking for a discussion. I was looking for, hey, here's the problems I have. How will we go about solving that? So what came to me is the people who wanted to talk to me more were new folks who had never been into a gym before. They were like a clean slate. All right, so they didn't have all these presupposed opinions and this diet and this workout and so forth. So I ended up actually working with my one-on-one clients were usually older clients that were afraid of a gym. And they would come in and tell me what they want. And then from my own knowledge, I could say, here's some steps to get there. So where I was going to be thinking that I was working with that 30 to 40-year-old, it actually became usually 55 to around 70 was my oldest client on that. And boy, was it a lot more enjoyable because we came in, I was told what the issue is. They didn't have any preconceived notions of this is how you're supposed to do it. And so then I can say, hey, here's the, here's the end point you want. Here's the path to the end point. Do you want to do that? And yeah, yeah, I can do that. So it became a clientele that I had no idea was going to be my clientele because I started asking the people that I thought were going to be. And then when I got the feedback, I was like, no, I don't want to work with these people. They're trying to tell me how it is and fight with me about this. And by still looking and talking to other folks, it kind of put me towards the client that I actually wanted to work with, but I didn't know who that was when I began. So if I would have spent all this time marketing with money, you know, spending time on marketing to that 30 to 40 year old market and 
selling to them without, you know, putting all time and energy into that, that would have been a huge waste for me. But by naturally just asking questions to different folks who came in, I found a market that wanted to work with me and I knew I could provide great value too. Um, so by testing that out and, you know, creating value for these clients and saying, this is the way you want to do it. Would you like to do it? And then asking for the sale. And I would do it in a way where it was like, look, um, I can, I can, you know, give you one training session here. Um, but in the big picture, that's, I don't want you to spend your money on one training session. What I want from you is an agreement that you're going to do the work to get the results you want. So I would do a volume offer on it too. My one class offer was very, very expensive. So if I said the, the training rates in the area I was in at the time was about $125 for a very good trainer for an hour. Um, so what I made my price was twice that. Yeah, this is America, guys. Um, yeah, we're, we were in an area with people who have very, very big first world problems. So um, that $125, my rate became $250. And why did I do that? Who wants to guess? Casey, Alan? So that they would buy a bigger package. They wouldn't bother with the one hour because that's not actually what you wanted to sell them. Yes. And it was also not good for them. All right. So what I found was people who were buying the lower rate one-offs never hung around and never got the goals they wanted. So it was my job to serve the client as well. And I knew I could not serve them in one session. Could I give them a couple tips? Yeah. You know, could we have a conversation? But that's just one hour it's not going to get them to the goals that they were telling me they wanted. So I said, look, if you want to pay that $250, go right ahead, but I don't want you to pay it because you're not going to get what you want out of it. But I will give you that $125 rate if you're willing to work with me three times a week for the next three months. Because then I know I can guarantee your success on this because we had the discussion of what you want. Um, and we know we can get it with over time. If you want to do the $250 one-off things, you're not going to stick with it. I can guarantee you that. I've seen it from the past. So that's also a way when people get beat up on, on a service. I see it a lot with trainers, massage, uh, artists, so forth. People are trying to fight with you about your hourly price. Um, anything that's not a one-off service, I think is a disservice to the client if you do not get them working with you over time and giving them that true value. I would not have been providing value for one session at $250 an hour. I know it was a little bit around, around the thing, but I think showing that, you know, understanding what the person wants and then showing them the steps to get there and then providing them the value with that, it really makes sense. Oh, sure. I love that. I need to come on one of your pop-up business schools. I'm learning loads here. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the actual luxury I want is I want to go and attend each one of the trainers pop-ups. I want to do one with Sean, one with Casey, one with Paul, one with Simon. I haven't seen Simon perform for years. Yeah. It's go. I mean, but the, that's one of the things like people are always thinking about things in one sale or one off where mm. what you want is a relationship with a you don't have to have a huge group of people. If you can provide value to a small group of people over time, um, that's all you need, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I don't want people that treat me like a one-off situation in, in any fast facet of business. I want to understand, you know, understand who they are, what they want to do with me and so forth. So if, if you can not concentrate on 
you know, just one sale or something like that. And it really goes in was get your money up front. If you can do a value proposition where people can see over time how they're saving money and getting exactly what they want, that's a win for the service provider and the person who's getting it. And guess what? They're going to do all kinds of word of mouth advertising for you. I love that, Sean. Let's move away from services. Let's move on to products. If you were launching a product, how would you apply sell your value bill before you create it to a product? Because it is slightly different. Similar principles, but it is slightly different. Well, let's play a game, Alan. Give us a product and Casey and I are going to sell that thing. Uh, Okay, I've got two examples that you can choose from. Number one is I'm deciding I'm going to do a rebel entrepreneur hoodie. Uh, number two is I'm going to launch a rebel entrepreneur brand of soap that just smells bad because we're rebels. <laughs> That's horrible marketing, Alan. I don't like your advertising on smell bad soap. There might be a better market for it. Casey, you get to pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that um, the, the rebel entrepreneur hoodie is a perfect example. Um, I get a lot of people talking to me about wanting when they come down to pop-up business school, they've got ideas. I get a lot of fashion students, fashion designers want to start their own brand. And the first thing, um, and some people who haven't got an idea of what they want to do, yet they know they want a business. And the first place I point them is to the print-on-demand services. Um, there's lots of different ones. Um, the one for T-shirts that I have some experience of, not much, but I have a look at, and a new few people have used it, is T-Mill. So basically the way this works is they print it on demand. So you set up with them, it's for free. You upload your designs and when you get a sale, they handle that, they print it, they dispatch it, they get a cut and you get a cut. So you can actually start a fashion business with zero cash, with no money and it doesn't cost you a penny. So if Alan wants to start Rebel Entrepreneur Merchandise, um, we could just go to a number of these uh, different types that are, I can, only, I can only think of Timo, but I know there are other ones at the moment, which print on demand, free setup, and we can have um, Rebel Entrepreneur merch uh, immediately, really. I mean, actually, we could do with some Rebel Entrepreneur pants, I think. Or uh, Is that American pants? pants or English pants? Right. Uh, uh, what are American pants? Uh, trousers. 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 Oh, All right. Trousers. You see, so in the UK, pants are underpants. You know, Calvin Klein's, and now I'm talking about underpants. I'm not sure this is appropriate. Uh, and knickers. But I love the idea of, anyway, Rebel Entrepreneur merch, but Rebel Entrepreneur undergarments. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going with this. Because I think putting your lucky pants on is a good start. Panties. Panties. I thought, Panties. I thought you were going for wearing them on the outside That's for a underwear. minute like a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Superhero-like. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of things that, that you can do that. Um, and also there's the, um, the Kickstarter websites as well, where you can put your products out there and that people basically um, pay up front before you've made it. So it's a, uh, it's a framework, an existing framework. They are trusted. You know, we talked about trust, but there's um, Indiegogo. Um, there is Kickstarter. There's lots of them. And you can put your products up there and people can buy it in advance of you making it. Um, again, that would be a great way to start uh, the Rebel Entrepreneur merch. I love the um, idea of Kickstarter and actually Kickstarter and Indiegogo, incredible platforms. Two thoughts. One is 
th that is the purest form of what we're talking about is you put up the idea, the video in the description, and you ask people to buy. If they buy and you hit your target, then you produce the product and ship it to them. This is exactly the purest form of what we're talking about. The second thing I'd love the audience to realize is that Indiegogo and Kickstarter are not a golden bullet. Just because you put it on there does not mean it will sell. You still have to drive the traffic, market it, sell it, and get it out there. Because I've seen so many entrepreneurs that go, I launched my Kickstarter, ta-da! And no one comes. And your job only starts. You still have to sell it. Kickstarter is not a substitute for the sales process. You still need to sell and market. Um, but that's the purest form. Purest form. Uh, sure. What episode is marketing? Uh, it's actually going to be in season two. Uh, season two, okay. Yes, we had so many subjects for season one that marketing, one of the most important subjects, got put in season two. So that will be coming season two, and I'm very excited to do that with KC uh, and talk all about how do you market and get people to the product. And we will be doing one with Henry about driving traffic as well. Very good. Okay. Um, I would I would say it's kind of it's the same thing as KC was saying, but I think as she was putting out earlier. I think there's a a misnomer here with like somebody like speaking in the ways of hey well we have this when if if it's just you and you're a solopreneur and you're doing this for the first time I think that transparency really works so saying if you're doing that hoodie right and you can let people in on what you're doing say look I'm going to put a design up here or I'm going to put one or two designs of what this sweatshirt could look like. Can you vote for the one that you would buy? Right. That way, getting feedback from the clients, you don't want to give them too many different choices, just A or B or A or B or C maybe at the most and say, you know, in order to make this work and get you this great product, I'm going to need to get the money up front to get the work done on that. And I'm going to need a little bit of a lag to be able to get that product to you. So, if we make, you know, make it a competition, like say if I sell a hundred of these, you know, within this amount of time, well, then I will ship every one of those to you within three weeks. So you put a marketing element into it. You put a game element into it. Can we reach that number? Which one is more exciting? So forth like that and saying like, hey guys, in order to get this done, I got to make sure that people are going to buy it. So you get them on your team as opposed to trying to hide behind we're a big company and we're, we're you know, we're going to sell thousands of these or whatever it may be. So by being transparent and being um, open with your potential clients and showing them who you are and why you're excited about doing this, people get behind that, you know, instead of trying to hide behind, well, I'm the best and I've done this forever um, and so forth. So you know, the mistake mostly, especially before we had these options on the internet to be able to post pictures and logos of what something will be when it's made was, well, I have to have, I got to buy 200 t-shirts and I'm going to print them and have all that. And then you're going to come from a place of God, I got to get rid of these. You're going to be pushy and you're going to demand and so forth where that's a completely different type of energy. If you put yourself out there and you be vulnerable and say, yeah, this is my first time doing this or I'm really excited about this, which one do you guys think is great? Or tell me, you know, I can make small little changes here. Is it the letters or whatever? And if you get 
you know, a critical amount of feedback saying, yeah, this is what we want. And then you awesome. Okay. I'll give it to you. Buy it now. Discount up front for the first hundred people. It'll be to you within two weeks of the closing date. Something where you can create create kind of a wave and a game and fun for the people who are looking to support you that like what the product is you're creating. So bringing this back to a process, the clear bit here is have an idea, define the idea a little bit, find someone who would be interested, put that idea in front of them and ask them to buy. And it doesn't really matter whether you're doing that face to face and you're going to see them whether you're doing it via email or whether you do it with a website or Kickstarter. You could throw up a free website, describe what you're going to sell, put a PayPal button on and ask for orders. Or you could put it on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. The key is you are getting it out there and actually doing the meaningful test of asking for the money before you waste too much time building it. That's the key to this whole thing. Um, So KC, Sean, what closing messages do you have for the audience about sell your value before they create it and why they should do it? I meet a lot of people who have everything ready. The website, the idea, the product, they've invested money and they'll come to pop-up business school and they'll say, I'm nearly ready to trade. I'm on a countdown to trading. Um, they're confident about their product. They're excited and all their ducks are in a row and they're ready. And I'll say to them, and who is your audience? Who's waiting for this? And they're not quite sure. They're ready to launch. Launch is an exciting word and it sounds, it's going to be wonderful. Maybe we'll have glasses of champagne and there'll be a reception at the launch. But who are you launching to? Who's waiting for it? Who's got the problems? Who have you spoken to? Who's given you the money? And I think that this comes back from this misinformation that we're told about having a business plan. It all comes back to that, about doing everything beforehand and going to market. We've got to turn it on its head. You've got to start where they're telling you not to start. That is find that customer. That customer could be in your phone now. It could be your cousin's best friend. It could be somebody's sister at work. It could be anybody you know, but start with real people wherever you can. And ask for the cash, even if it feels uncomfortable. Ask for the cash. I love that, Casey. Sean, closing thoughts on sell your value before you create it. Yeah, I like I like Casey's better. Get the money up front. <laughs> Very clear cut. Um, I think it comes back to asking. So if I was selling, let's say, a coffee mug, right? And I think I know everything about coffee mugs and I know what everybody wants for coffee mugs. That's not true. That's a story I'm creating in my head. And if I do all my research on coffee mugs and I, and I buy just the right, you know, color and the glaze and so forth, and then I go out there and say, buy my coffee cup. That's my gambling analogy that we were talking about in Las Vegas earlier. Okay. That's a huge gamble. That's a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of anxiety of, will this work? Will this work? So what I want you to do is take the anxiety out of it, all right? Go up with a normal coffee cup, ask somebody what they're looking for in a coffee cup, listen to them, and then if you can provide that, ask them if they want to buy it. That's it. Stop going to Vegas. I love that. There is definite mic drop at that point. Stop going to Vegas. And I think you're right. Let's take the gambling out of entrepreneurship because 
whenever I speak to people, they think that entrepreneurship is risky. Like entrepreneurs, they're risk takers and they go out there and they blaze the trails and they blow the, all the money and they'll risk millions. But that's not my experience of entrepreneurship. And actually, I don't particularly like risk. And I have found ways to avoid taking risk and sell your value before you create it is my number one way of avoiding business being gambling because I'm not gambling. If it doesn't sell, I've not lost anything. If it does sell, I've got a business, I've launched, I'm helping people and I'm making money. So Sean is absolutely right. Let's take the gambling out of entrepreneurship and sell your value before you create it. Sean, Casey, I've loved having you on this episode and the energy and effort you put in. Thank you so much. One more part. We got to congratulate KC. Tomorrow is the three-year anniversary of her and Lindsay, her partner, selling her business that she started by selling up front, getting the money up front. And 15 years later, she sold that business and is now able to give her value and knowledge that she's learned on The Rebel Entrepreneur. Congratulations, KC. Yay. Thanks very much, Sean. That's very kind. Thank you. Mm -hmm. you I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, it's a big day. It is a big day. It Um, is a big day. Yeah. So the next episode is episode 11, which is all about ideas and creativity. And Simon and I are talking about the tools and techniques and processes for creativity to come up with ideas. So if you don't yet have a business idea that you can apply, sell your value before you create it too, episode 11 is the one for you. Thank you for tuning in to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Get out there and sell something. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion. Rebel.